Hey, I'm Fred. And I'm Ed. And this is Create a Generation. Create a Generation of Hype. Create a Generation features top YouTube creators and video experts sharing their tips, insights, and stories from working on the world's biggest video platform. All right, Frederico, what is happening this week? Anton, we are chatting with Dania Lewis, who is the CEO of a company called Scrunch. Then, out of the blue, we get this email with this image and an apology message saying, I'm sorry, I was just waiting for my abs to look a little bit better. (laughs) (laughs) Scrunch, uh, if you're interested, and you should be. I'm always interested, Fred. (laughs) Scrunch uh, is both an agency and a platform. And what they do is they connect influencers to brands and collaborators all over the world. Yep. And Danny is someone you should listen to because Danny really knows her. So if you want to work with a brand, if you want to know how much to charge, and particularly if you want to find out what not to do when working with a brand, this episode is the one for you. It's a dinger. It's a humdinger. Let's get into it. Hi, I'm Danielle Lewis from Scrunch. Scrunch is an influencer marketing platform that connects brands and agencies with over 20 million influencers globally. We're a data analytics platform and we help brands make the right decisions when it comes to their influencer marketing. Mm, That is Amazing. You've said that before. I have, I'm not going to lie to you. I've said it once or twice. <laughs> so good. Wish we could say something like that about what we do. Creator generation. Yeah. We help the next generation of creators do stuff and things. Yes, I'm yes. all about the stuff and things. This does talk about the, about the history of Scrunch, yeah. um, like you, where you started and how you ended up here. So, people may not know this, but Scrunch actually started over nine years ago now and had nothing to do with influencer marketing. As you can imagine, influencer marketing wasn't really a thing nine years ago. So, we went through a few uh, company changes, built some cool uh, technology. So, we went from being a 3D virtual change room for fashion to being a fashion social network, to being an inventory solution and media monitoring solution. And... At that point, about five years ago, the first influencer made a million dollars online and our customers were like, whoa, 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 you can tell us when an influencer talked about us. Who was that? Who made the first mill online? Uh, oh, good question. It was a fashion blogger from New York. I want to say it was like Susie Bubble or someone, but I can't remember. Wow. Yeah. Sorry. No, that's, that's right. I should probably know that fact <laughs> considering it's in my business story. It's in your story. It's it a good is. story. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so we went, holy shit, influencer marketing is going to explode. And five years ago, it didn't explode. It probably exploded last year. Um, but that was good. It gave us a lot of time to, you know, at Scrunch, we really prioritize the data um, and the audience behind influencers. So it gave us a few years head start on building that technology. And um, yeah, we haven't looked back. Uh, obviously, the market did explode. Everyone's talking about creators and influencers, and um, yeah, now we've got but the technology to do cool shit. But you're you're like you're not just like some tech girl boss who just saw the opportunity, though, right? You you sort of you're you know you're an OG creator yourself, right? Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> What? Well, it's, I mean, it's really funny, right? So I have uh, had a blog for the last 10 years um, and, you know, obviously you still, 10 years you ago. You still keep it up? 
No, not really. It's going to resurface, but it's, yeah. it hasn't. It hasn't had much love lately. Uh, Scrunch has stolen the show, uh, but it's been biding its time and um, been marinating on what the future mm. of that blog looks like. Um, so expect big things to be resurfacing. You heard it here first. Boom. And uh, yeah, so it's really interesting how we started dabbling in all of these different fields that had nothing to do with creators, nothing to do with blogs. But I, you know, on the side, I always had that going so it's really kind of nice that it came full circle and we built something that was of service to both creators and the brands that they work with um, because obviously there's been an underlying passion for this market for a long time so danny you have this great intro about scrunch but what the hell does that mean for a creator for a creator, that's a great question because a lot of the focus gets put on brands and agencies and are they making the right decision? But a creator has this amazing opportunity to be building a business of influence for themselves. Um, so the way we work with creators is really as, I guess, an educational partner to help them understand what they can be doing um, to stand out from the pack. Um, I think I said we've got 20 million influencers on the platform. So, you know, it is difficult to stand out in that group these days. So helping them understand what is best practice, what is ordinary practice, um, how to value themselves um, and all of those little tips and tricks to make their lives working with brands um, and building their profile um, a lot easier. And you work with creators across all different types of platforms, right? It's not just YouTube creators or Instagrammers like yeah, we work with anyone and everyone and that's kind of why I love influencer marketing as a category because there's no one channel, there's no one niche. It works across so many different marketing tactics as well. Uh, so we've worked with finance bloggers, uh, we work with people who solely have a blog, people who are celebrity status, Instagrammers, YouTubers, Facebookers, Twitterers, um, all of the all of the above. Awesome. Speaking of creators who work with you, um, you know, we, we work with a whole range of different creators, you know, big and small. Who can work with agencies like you? Can they be a small creator? Can they be a big, big creator? How do they approach not just the brands, but how do they approach a a scrunch. Yeah, and look, we get people approach us all the time as well. Um, when you approach, I guess, an agency like Scrunch, you you tend not to know all of the clients that they work with. Um, so a great way to approach it is a little bit more generic. So making sure you're connecting with the human, with the Danny at the other end of the email or whoever, um, and articulating who would be right for you. So, hey, I know you guys work with these key brands. My audience profile looks like this. I create content that looks like this. Um, I would love to be considered for some of your future opportunities. Um, and we do. So people that write amazing emails like that get on our radar because, you know, yes, there's 20 million influencers on the Scrunch platform, but we don't know all of them. So we're, you know, we don't want to miss amazing content creators. So if they get on our radar, we actually have a Slack channel where we have, hey, this person's amazing looking for collabs and we try and get them onto future campaigns where it's relevant, you know. I always say from our point of view is the brand always has the final say. Um, so we don't always get to work with the people that we want to work with and would love to work with. Um, but if they're on our radar, we can be putting them forward where it's relevant. I do want to know a couple of things. One is what what does a great creator look like for you? Like just mm. whether that's scrunch or personally, what do you think makes a great creator? Oh, what a philosophical question. <laughs> Um, well, for me, the biggest thing is I'm, I'm running a business. So my business relies on people who are reliable, 
people that have pride in their work, people that produce amazing work um, and do what they say they're going to do. So a great creator for me comes with the lens that I make promises to brands and not just any brand, we work with the top tier brands in the world and when I make a promise to them, I want to make sure that I'm working with people who will help me uphold that promise. Um, So a great creator is somebody that has that business professionalism um, and does what they say they're going to do. What sort of types of opportunities exist for this creator generation now to work with brands? Yeah, well, I think the really exciting thing is is that you can make it whatever you want it to be. So there is the potential to make millions of dollars and be a super high-profile influencer that's created this business, that's created products, that's created a personal brand and a personal profile. But if you want, it can just be as small as a hobby, getting free product and, you know, just, yeah, creating amazing content. You can kind of do with it what you will. That's super cool. I like that idea. Yeah, great. So, yeah. It's kind of giving people the opportunity to design a life that they are excited about. You know, when I was at uni 10 years ago, showing showing my age, (laughs) uh, (laughs) you know, social media wasn't even a thing. We didn't even learn about it. And now university students that we're presenting to are talking about being an influencer as a career path. So that's pretty cool that you can actually design a career for yourself and a life for yourself um, through social media. That sounds pretty easy then. Like you can just design your if you want if you want millions of dollars, you can go after that. If you want to just do it as a hobby, is it like is it just as how hard is it to then become a career creator? I think it's really hard. So I liken being a creator to running your own business. So as a creator, you've got to think of a lot of different things. It's not actually just about creating content. It is about running a business. So it is about reaching out to brands for collaboration opportunities. It is thinking about managing social media platforms. It is developing a website. There are all these skills, you know, you might be figuring out graphic design to, you know, create a new picture for your website or something. You might be, you know, then you've got to deal with invoicing brands when you get to that stage. So it is running a business and that's really tough. And especially when you're a solopreneur or a creator, um, you've got to learn all of those different things. And, um, you know, that takes work, especially if it's a side hustle, if you're doing a full-time job and trying to figure out all of those things after hours, you know, if you've got a family and you're trying to figure out those things, it's pretty difficult to balance everything. So what's the best thing about being a creator today? So I think the best thing about being a creator today um, is really the fact that the world is your oyster. You can literally choose to create it how you want to create it. You can pick any kind of random topic. The more niche, the better. You can pick any kind of channel. There's so many channels that are seeing success these days. Um, You can do it as a hobby. You can do it as a full-time gig. You can you know, try and move towards that celebrity status and education and actually how to become a creator is everywhere. You know, you can Google how to create a YouTube video. You can Google how to create a podcast setup. You can, all of that information that you need to actually um, build a business of influence is out there. Um, You know, 10 years ago, that information was really hard to come by. People were making it up as they went along. And, you know, if you want to do something today, yes, it's more crowded, but if you do it well and you pick a a creative niche, there's huge opportunity. You guys work with tons of different types of creators. Where, like, where does that tipping point where someone 
can look at it and go, you know what, I can actually go from creating stuff that I'm passionate about and interested in. Maybe I can make some money here working, let's, let's say, with brands. How, how can I make money? Like, what's a tipping point to working with a brand? Yeah, and I think that's changing all the time depending on your the brands that you want to work with, um, what their appetite is, uh, and I guess your creativity. So we see some creators who have a very, very small following but are super talented actually make more money than people with more followers because they're a little bit more creative and they say, um, you know, I'm actually going to replace a creative team for a brand. I'm going to be the photographer, the model. I, you know, I'm regularly traveling to these amazing places you know that's actually saving a brand thousands of dollars in models in photographers in post-production in venue hire and now all of a sudden this creator who's doing something amazing that they love anyway is charging a per image fee or a day rate or something that's not related to or tied back to how many followers they have Um, I think that's sort of a way to start looking at things differently to monetize your influence or your creator stuff or stuff and things. I love the stuff and things. <laughs> I mean, you, you say small creators, and we get asked all the time, like, how, what, what's that magic number? Like, mm. how, what's my minimum number of subscribers or views that I need to be able to then start saying, hey, brands, pay attention to me and pay me or give me stuff. Yeah, so we, on the Scrunch platform, you need a 1,000 followers um, to get in, essentially, uh, because there is so much opportunity for that um, almost nano, they're calling them nano influencers now because we love a buzzword. Um, And, you know, it's also a user-generated content layer as well. So, like, these are real people that might be real customers of a brand. They're super important to, you know, get creative content from um, as well. So we tend to say there's a bit of a, you know, 1,000 follower rule because once you've hit a 1,000 followers, as well so no one has a thousand friends so if you've got to the thousand mark you're obviously trying to be an influencer you're obviously starting to dedicate your time to building a following um so you know that tends to be where people are starting to take it seriously with at a thousand followers is it realistic for a creator to be thinking then all right i'm on the money wagon here i've, I've got bank coming my way um it's definitely time to start asking um, and exploring opportunities. Uh, I think that, you know, asking brands for money is like sales. So here's a new hat as a creator to put on and that's sales. <laughs> um, and you don't always get the first sale, you know, and it's about experimenting and understanding what you need to say to a brand to get them excited, what value you actually offer um, and what they find important to make sure that you're kind of learning those skills as you go. Um, so I think it's a great time to start starting, but I wouldn't be expecting to make that first billion. You mentioned that aspect of value. Like, do creators really know their value? A lot of the creators you work with, or how do they, you know, how do they understand that? Yeah, I, I don't think a lot of creators understand their value. I think that uh, there is, you know, people have likened influencer marketing or the influencer, I guess, category as the wild west because it is completely unregulated. There's not a per follower, I guess 
guidelined on what to charge. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we recently did a study across Australia and the US to determine um, some rough guidelines in terms of what people should be charging or what brands should be paying for people at different follow accounts. Mm. Um, but again, there's kind of exceptions to the rule. So mm. if you are a, a smaller creator that might have, you know, that first thousand followers, but you create epic content, there is inherent value in that. And, mm. you know, as that creator, you should be researching, well, what would a photographer charge? Mm. So or what's a per image rate? Or if you were in a, you know, if you're a YouTuber, mm. uh, what would a videographer be charging for this? You know, how much would a brand actually be paying to have a creative team put that together? So therefore, what can I look at charging for that? So because creators mm. ask us this all the time. It's like, yeah, how much should I be charging for this? And you know, you know, what's my value here? And and you're right, it it, it does really vary a lot, isn't, isn't it? And I think that's probably what sometimes makes it hard for brands and creators. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, I would be lying if I didn't say that everyone wants a good deal, mm. you know, and but I think that creators also need to, uh, you know, develop confidence and assertiveness and push for what they know that they are worth. Um, a brand is getting a good deal choosing a creator because they're not paying, you know, those 10 people on a creative team. So either way, they know they're going to be saving money going with a creator. So a creator should be then looking at, okay, well, awesome want to give them a good deal but what is actually going to validate my time and position me and, and make it worthwhile and and do you think their creators typically undercharge for um what they're worth i think that it's actually both ends of the spectrum because um, the other thing that we deal with as well is talent managers um so what we tend to find is uh creators who undercharge when they're first starting out and potentially do themselves a disservice and then uh when they're getting bigger and maybe a talent manager steps in um, they tend to want to push the boundaries a little bit in terms of what is market rate mm. add their talent fee on top um, and it's sometimes it actually gets a little bit you know swings in the other direction of overcharging Mm, i mean we've we've worked with uh like a lot of creators we work with don't have talent managers and Mm. there was one example where you know they would have very good videos and um we were looking at what they were charging for like um an ad and we were like we'll try asking for eight times as much and he was like completely shocked i can't ask for eight times as much and he goes i'll just try it what's the worst that can happen exactly yeah and he did and they almost instantly said yes but it, it, Damn it should have been 20 times. It, it also wasn't like a flip it, hey, just ask for more cash. It was yeah. like, you you know, this is a creator with over a million subscribers creating videos, getting well over a million views every time and a wow. very, very, very engaged audience mm. and was, you know, charging for, you know, a quarter of, or, or an eighth of what they should have. So, you know, it was just yeah. like, here's market rate for what you're, the audience you're reaching that is very, very engaged. And yeah, the brand did just, jump straight at it yeah and and that's the thing i don't think creators realize that the brands are getting a good deal Mm. it is very expensive to create video great video content as a brand and usually brands aren't that great at creating content that is why they leverage these creators um so and i think there needs to be a little bit more transparency around what market rate is so if you got a video developed by a videographer a you know model had to hire a set had to you know put it into post-production whatever 
is involved, um, what would that cost? You know, so that people can start making those comparisons around the work that they do, the hours that they put in, the creative genius that they even have. You know, the brand also wants to tap into. All that stuff is highly valuable. Um, so, yeah, I think we probably need a little bit more transparency around what things cost in the real world and then how we can kind of work it back for creators. Mm. That you know, that's starting to make sense and sounds pretty obvious. But to go back again, how do you how does a creator then decide which brand to work with? Probably let's start there and then flow on from that. It's like yeah, how does a creator decide, okay, which brand should I reach out to? Yeah, I think there's two approaches, um, authenticity to self and authenticity to audience. So as a creator, um, I think, you know, we touched on earlier how running a business is hard work. So as a creator, you want to do stuff that sets your soul on fire. You don't want, if you're like a foodie and you love food, you don't want to be, you know, promoting a plant brand, I say, um, there's a plant next to me, so that's what I reached it's for It's a plastic there. plant too. It's a plastic plant. Oh my God, <laughs> it's outrageous. You know, you don't want to be promoting a brand that you don't love that isn't going to be um, something that you're excited to get up every day and talk about. Uh, so I think it's important to figure out what you love and what you want to promote uh, because it comes across in content as well. Like we see influencers who take or creators who take jobs that it might be for the money and you know you can see the lack of passion in the content they produce and that's not a great scenario because it means they won't get used again um you know people look at that whether it be the brand whether it be the agency that's engaged them you know everyone wants the best results so if you're not passionate about it you're not going to do your best work Um, so I think it's important to understand what you love and what you want to get up every day and and create and then I think it's really important to understand your audience so your audience will have a demographic profile Um, you know they will engage with you uh, on their content oh sorry on your comments or in your blog or whatever it might be, it is so important to figure out who they are and what they care about so that you can also incorporate products, brands, content that they're going to love Uh, because that over time is what's going to build the following and engagement um, and keep people raving fans. We're talking about that authenticity to audience. Does an audience mind being sold to by creators? Not when it's authentic. (laughs) So uh, consumers aren't stupid. They know that creators and influencers need to make money and they know that they do that through brand collaborations. So when an influencer or a creator creates a piece of content that is aligned to a brand, they don't mind. They do mind though when it's out of place. So if it looks weird in their feed, if it's something that they never usually talk about, uh, any of those things, um, consumers bullshit radar. Are we allowed to swear on this podcast? Yeah, yeah. shit, yeah. You yeah. glad I cleared that up. <laughs> uh, you know, they pick that up. They can smell it a mile off. Yeah. And um, so. If it is authentic, if it's relevant to the audience, and if the creator genuinely loves it, they don't care. Do you have any examples or any stories about a creator that did something that was inauthentic and it had a bit of a backlash? Yeah, well, there are plenty of examples, and uh, we have a name for this group of content creators that I will not mention. Um, But when you see an Instagram feed that is product placement, product placement, product placement, that is now one of the key measures of influencer selection for brands. So influencers or creators get manually vetted 
on how many products they're promoting versus how many organic posts they have. So that actually rules creators out before they even get a look in in the campaign. Mm. So if you're doing that um, and not putting a focus on organic content creation that is just designed for you and your audience, um, you'll be cutting yourself out of work before you even start. Interesting. Mm. Mm -hmm. So is there, like, have you guys got any guidelines on how many brands that a creator should be working with? Too many? Too too little? Probably too many? Yeah, no, it's, I guess there's no hard and fast rule and it also depends on how much content you post. So if you only post a couple of times a week, you don't want to be working with a couple of brands a week. You know, you may be only wanting to work with a couple of brands a month because that's going to fit in really authentically with the content that you put out there. If you're producing content every day, if you're, you know, live on stories every day, if you're pushing out a ton of content, you can work with more brands because it makes sense because you're talking more and more about your day and what you're doing and it's easier to slot them in and have it feel authentic. Um, so then we tend to say, you know, you can work with a brand a week and that's not a problem. So to approach a brand, what does a creator need to know about themselves and about the brand? And what what do they need to do to approach a brand? Yeah, so the biggest thing they need to know is who their audience is, both themselves and the brand. Because if there's no alignment, there's no way a brand is going to say yes. Um, If I guess the caveat to that is if it was only content creation, if you just created beautiful content and you wanted to sell a bank of content to a brand, that might be a different story. But if you want to be a brand ambassador, if you want a sponsored post, if you want to create a sponsored video, you need to understand your audience and it needs to be the same audience as the brand. It needs to be relevant. Um, So having that data on your own audience is super critical uh, and having that data on the brand's audience is super critical as well. Uh, and you can... How do you figure out Ooh. a brand's audience though? Like, I'm a creator. I don't know anything about... Like, they're not going to give me their metrics. No, they're not going to give you your metrics, but you can make some assumptions. So if you are approaching a lipstick brand, uh, you can look at a brand's advertising. You can look at a brand's social media feed and look at the types of people that they currently work with, look at the types of models they use in their advertising campaign and make a rough selection on what type of customer they're trying to target. Um, And if you are a guy that talks about food every day, you probably don't want to approach that lipstick brand. You probably (laughs) don't have females aged 25 to 34 in your demographic. Uh, So you can make some assumptions as a creator by looking at their content and looking at the other influencers or other creators that they're already working with. And when it comes to brands, how do they try and figure out like who to work with like what is their sort of matrix of like okay i'm gonna work with this creator or this creator or you know this one's going to be better for me than this one because you know we see a lot of brands put a lot of content with creators that sometimes doesn't seem to fit mm. you know especially when you look at like you know gaming and that kind of thing it seems odd where they're where they're placing their ads Yeah, and I think that the market is still fairly immature. I know that, uh, you know, we've been talking about influencer marketing for a few years, but there are still brands that are completely dabbling in it and just working with anyone and everyone and trying to figure it out. The biggest thing that we're seeing and the biggest move in the industry is this audience understanding. So really as a brand, figuring out who they're trying to target and making sure that the influencers align to that target first. Um, 
Um, and, you know, that's a very non, I guess, romantic way of looking at content creation and, and creativity. But that's kind of the first make or break. So does that creator have the audience that we're looking to reach? If they do, then they start going into, okay, cool. What does their content look like? Um, you know, are they the right image for our brand? What have they posted? Who else have they worked with? You know, do they swear? Do they drink a lot on their feed? Like all then the sort of more soft objective things. Uh, but if you don't have the right data, um, brands are starting to err away from the get-go. <laughs> When I'm on the mic. Anton, I think it is time to take a quick break. Yep, I reckon people need to hear what else we've been cooking up. That's right, we also have an app. Um, the app is basically designed to create a global community of creators. So bring together all the creators all over the world to have great conversations um, and also give them access to a bunch of extra content to make them even better at what they do. Definitely. And we've made this thing so it's available both on iPhone through the App Store and for your Android device on Google Play. So jump on, check it out, join the creator generation. What does a great pitch to a brand look like? Can I tell you what it doesn't look like first? Yes, (laughs) please. So if you are contacting a brand and you've found their amazing uh, Instagram profile or social media profile, don't slide into their DMs and say, (laughs) hey, want to (laughs) collab? I can't believe it. This it just this example keeps coming up again and again. It literally just came up this week of someone doing that. And it's just, you know, you do have to think about yourself as a business. And as a business owner, you would never reach out to someone, you know, you wouldn't say that to someone in person. So you don't say that on social media. Um, so what a good pitch looks like. Um <laughs> Email is actually great. If you can email someone first over DMing a brand, that is definitely the recommendation. You've got to remember that you're not dealing with another, say, creator who is social first. You're dealing with a brand marketing manager and they are sitting in front of their computer every day looking at their email inbox. So that's where you want to be. You need to understand that audience relevancy. So it's really the why. Why, as a creator, would that brand want to work with you? And the key things will be the audience so the alignment and how relevant and exciting your audience would find it to find out more information about this brand and then the value you can provide in terms of content creation you know you might even do a bit more research and find out how often they actually post on their social media profiles hey I noticed you're only posting once a week is that because you don't have an amazing bank of content let me help you create that. You know, not only is my audience relevant and would love to hear about your brand, but I can actually value add here and make your life easier, Mr. Marketing Manager or Mrs. Social Media Manager, um, and supply that content. I think it's really about understanding your why, which is audience, and your value. You know, how can you make their life easier? And I think we've got to remember that, like, it's a human on the other end exactly, of that email yeah. address, you know, yeah. and they do get approached by so many people and they, and, it, and in fact, it's actually not hard to stand out because they're getting so many of the wrong kind of emails, mm. so many copy and paste, so many, give me free this, give me free yeah. that. So actually, if you just take that time yep. to connect with another human being, that is actually so powerful yeah. and it's not rocket science. <laughs> yeah. And I think almost everyone intrinsically knows how to connect, you know, they know how to talk, most people know how to talk to someone. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to approaching you know, brands, they, they tend to go in, in reverse. It's funny. And or, you know, they'll go the opposite way and they'll be so impassioned. Like, you know, we were, I think I received an eight-page email. Oh, uh, and I was like, oh, my God. And I, I felt bad because the person was clearly 
you know, very passionate about this brand, but it was a little bit too much. Um, and yeah, it's, I guess, the, it, a lot of creators are, I guess, confused mm. about the way to do that. So, you know, um, do you know of a, of a, I guess, a rough structure or a general structure they can, they can take in approaching a, a brand and like the key points they should identify? Totally. And I think you nailed it with, don't go overboard as well. It's, you know, you think about if you received that email, you'd, you'd get a paragraph in and you'd be like, okay, I'm, d- I'm done here. <laughs> Next, delete, archive. Uh, even if they were excited, it's because you're encroaching in somebody else's time. Yeah. So if you can keep it super succinct to like three key points, this is why. So we both have the same audience. I think that they would be really excited to hear from you. I know who your audience is. Here's a fact um, and a fact about my data uh, and my audience straight away up front so they know oh I really should read on I really should listen to what this influencer says and then the value so what you actually want to do what you can envision creating um, and then an open just an open invitation to connect love to hear from you love to jump on the call any a call anytime because we do have to remember that people still use the phone and sometimes talking out a creative idea can be a little bit more um, valuable Um, keep it short and sweet those three things that's it you know, if you want to personalize it, that would be the cherry on top. Um, you know, if you found out something interesting about that particular human. So if you weren't just emailing a marketing at brand.com email address, if you actually found out who that marketing manager was, stalked them on Instagram, found <laughs> out that they loved cats, you know, and put a cat gif in there, wouldn't that wouldn't hurt either. So some kind of level of personalization. Uh, but as long as it is, you know, to the point um, and sort of gets that value message across. Should the creator make any attachments or anything like that? Should they have a, a pitch or, a, you know, a media kit or anything like that? Is that a, a necessity? or It's not a necessity. What I like to do is use that as a way to open up a dialogue. So uh, I've actually got a media kit. Would you like me to send that to you? And that actually mm. invites the brand to reply and show their interest. And it just gives you another reason to email them. If you kind of show all your cards up front, they could kind of, you, you know, they might not reply because now they have all of the information. And even if they're excited and interested to work with you, there was no reason for them to ask for more information. Mm. You kind of gave them everything. So I like to just hold that back and ask them if they're interested enough to receive it. So then you can send that back and, oh, great, you know, gauge their interest, ask them another question, use that second email of sending them the attachment to ask another question. Oh, you know, is content creation or is influencer marketing or is whatever your offering something of interest to you right now you know just use that as a way to kind of keep the conversation going that's a great tip what about asking for money like putting your price you put that in um, up front? I, ne- no, I never do that up front. Um, it's nice to sneak that on your media kit or that pitch. Um, and at that stage, if you are feeling uncomfortable about it, you could say something like, you know, these are our standard rates. However, you know, because you're a brand that we're really excited to work with, we'd love to chat with you about what you've actually got going on, where your budget's at at the moment um, and what we can create together. What about, you're talking, stay on money. What about free stuff? Is that useful and valuable for a creator to get free stuff or are they selling themselves short with their value? Yeah, and the answer is kind of both. 
so it depends on your personal values as a creator. Um, if there are things that you need, you know, to enhance your life as a creator, like technology products, um, sometimes receive, and because they're high value, sometimes receiving them is actually fantastic. You know, and if it's a brand that you want to work with, it's a brand that you actually want to buy their products, but might not be in a stage in your career where you can afford to, that kind of contra relationship can be really good. If it's, you know, very low value, you know, skinny tea brands, not that I have anything against them. <laughs> but you, maybe you want to think about whether just receiving those things is really enhancing your life as a creator, if it's adding any value um, to the people that you're posting to, um, or if, you know, maybe you should just hold off uh, for a little bit longer. A brand's looking for people who have already worked with a brand before for some sort of security blanket? Uh not necessarily. So as a brand, you may you would look more for the relationship. So receiving free product and doing an amazing job and building a relationship with a marketing manager is is valuable and can le- lead to long-term benefits. If it was a brand new brand that you were reaching out to, um, having runs on the board with other brands isn't as important. Um, but, you know, it is does come back to, you know, you're building a business. We're talking to other humans here. If you can do anything in those early days to create value um, and show that relationship, that will pay off in the long run. You know, we've seen influencers go from receiving a free product um, to being paid to moving to longer term ambassadorships. So it does happen. Yep. I mean, we see it all the time. Creators are just stoked that a brand is reaching out mm. and they're like, awesome. They want to give me this free thing that is worth five bucks and they've like just for a shout out and it's like well think about the value that is creating for Mm. you but also for your brand and is it really there is it it actually there is Um, your time worth five dollars is that how you value and is that engagement like with you telling your audience that worth Mm. their their time as well and their attention but yeah like a lot of times we see creators get super excited that brands reached out to them um for something that is going to return a lot of value for the brand and be valueless for the creator but because it's like their first or their only interaction with a brand they jump on it um and it may or may not be a good thing but yeah there's normally like an excitement level around that totally and it's validation right you know it's um you know we all have egos and they all like being stroked (laughs) and you know that validation of someone saying hey you're doing amazing work I want a piece of that action of course it feels good you know of course everyone wants to be valued um but uh, you know yes what I would sort of say to that is is love that, you know, feel that and then do exactly what you said, you know, really think about whether it is providing value to your audience or, or your future career. Yeah, I can't, I, I can't remember which creator we spoke to recently who said this, so if you're listening, I'm sorry, but they did say, look, if these offers are coming in and just take a minute, take a time, you know, mm. sleep on it, think about it, you know, is it right? Like that offer, they want to work with you, that offer is going to be there tomorrow morning. Um, and maybe, you know, if you hadn't asked for payment previously, this is the sign that you've been looking for. Mm. Great. All of these people are reaching out and they want to work with me. Obviously, I'm doing something right. Obviously, I've got the right audience. Obviously, my content is high quality. Cool. Why don't we start experimenting and asking for some kind of payment for what we're doing some will say no um, because they don't have the budgets and that's nothing against you as a creator but some will say yes and you know maybe that's what a sort of where you start to cut your teeth Mm. Um, how about alternative pathways to talking with brands i mean there's a creator we work with who 
got to a particularly big brand through another creator, another recommendation. Um, or they've been through to, you know, like they've gone to an event and they've met someone there. So what other stories or what other ways can you tell creators to, um, to use to approach brands or at least meet up with them? Yeah, absolutely. Events are amazing. I think we undervalue the uh, human-to-human connection. Um, we're so digital, we're so social, you're following someone, but it's just so easy to get lost. There's just too many billions of people on social media to really cut through. Um, so going back to that sort of physical you know, relationship, grabbing a drink with someone is so, so important. Um, and events are a great way to do that. You can meet people that you would never, that wouldn't reply to your email in person sometimes, which is um, super exciting. So definitely events is a really key one. Um, collaborating with other influencers is a great idea. Um, and we actually, I mean, even at Scrunch, we have influencers who monitor what other influencers do and they're like, hey, I noticed you working with XYZ. I actually have a similar audience profile to that person and, you know, I think my you know content would be great for whatever it might be. So actually positioning themselves alongside other influencers um, and noticing what brands are doing and what campaigns they're working on and what they have in market. Um, so I think that general research and, and being aware of what other influencers are doing is, is super valuable but then you know collaborating with them as well and and getting in their content and um, getting noticed by brands we always say to influencers or creators you know who have a certain number of followers um, start to reach out with other influencers who are kind of a similar size so you can start to share audiences so if you're you know go on a coffee date and take a snap together and tag each other or you know create a video Q&A about something that you're both passionate about you know leverage each other that you know the thing is is that um, you know, people shouldn't have a scarcity mentality. There are, you know, consumers galore that will follow, you know, the next creator and the next creator as long as they're doing amazing things. So, you know, you shouldn't be um, worried about kind of working with other creators and that you'll miss out on a brand collaboration. Um, there's just so much opportunity out there. All right. So let's say a creator's done all these things. They've hooked up with a brand. What happens next? Like, let's just go make some rad shit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there are a few steps in between. What's the best way to go about it? Because there's probably yep. a bunch of ways that people go about it, but what's the best way a creator can go about taking that next step once yeah. a, cre- a brand is involved uh, is keen to be involved with totally. Them? So, uh, depends again on the maturity of the brand and where they're sort of at in their life cycle of working with creators as well. So, if a brand has done it before, they will likely create a brief for a creator to kind of work to. A good brand will understand that creators are best at creating (laughs) shocker and um, that they should give them creative freedom but within guide rails you know a brand still needs to achieve a goal of getting uh, the correct information out there about that brand so if a brand provides a brief to the creator the creator should first and foremost dive into it check it out Um, does it make sense Um, do they feel confident in creating their content around this brief or do they need to ask clarification questions Uh, every brief I've ever received we've asked clarification questions on so do not ever feel as a creator that you can't go back and ask for more detail um, because that's going to impact the quality of your content as well. Uh, If the brand doesn't provide you a brief, I always tell the creator to create one. I mean, obviously, Scrunch, that's our job. We come in in the middle and do that. But, you know, if I'm giving advice to a creator, uh, it's always to make sure that you design that brief in collaboration with the brand. The situation that you don't want to get into as a creator is 
just making it up and creating a piece of content that you think is awesome um, only to send that to the brand and for them to be disappointed Um, and disappointed because it's not your fault if you didn't have a brief you're just kind of winging it and being creative and you know you never know what's in other people's heads so I always say as a creator get down you know dot points what are some do's what are some don'ts you know what are key points that I've got to get across in my content to make sure that they are everyone is on the same page before I creator does anything Um, you know it is an investment in a creator's time to create video to create still to create anything you don't want to be creating without kind of having some some lens or guide rails on what it is that you're supposed to be doing so that's totally step one Um, have you got any like you you sort of alluded to it you've got any 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 stories where that's happened where about a hundred. Right. <laughs> oh, look, it's just a common thread. And that's why we're so strict about it at Scrunch is because we have um, briefs that are signed off by brands who then receive content back that is on brief that have not thought about particular things. And they go, oh, actually, that wine glass cannot be in the shot. And, you know, in an image, things are easy to Photoshop out and it's not that dramatic. Um, it is, you know, an investment in people's time to fix those things. But if you can get into a situation where you know all of those details and expectations up front, it just saves everyone so much time and creates an amazing experience for both creator and brand. Um, And when it's video, it is very hard to edit things out and it means reshoots, it means, you know, reorganizing venues, it's it's money, you know, that's on the line. So if you can avoid being in those situations, um, that's a much better scenario. In in these situations, when that happens, who no, who normally loses out and gets burned? Uh, it well, it depends on the confidence of the creator. So oh. if they're a new sort of um, you know dabbling in this relationship with brands, often they won't push back. So often they will go, oh crap, I've not interpreted the brief correctly, or I didn't set expectations up front, so I will just reshoot this content, and they get burned. Um, and on the flip side, I mean, we have seen it happen to brands as well. We'll push back and say, well, actually, no, you signed off on this, this, and this happening. So if you would like that reshot that will cost you XYZ dollars for the creator's time. So, you know, both sides can get burnt in the situation. So where of the thoughts of just lay it out on the table up front and, and avoid it. When it comes to working with brands, I mean, uh, like, you know, brands have been doing this for a, a long, long time. They have a long history, right? And I mean, we've seen briefs where they said, you know, okay, you're going to shoot this, but you can't have any kids. You can't have these colors. You can't have, you know, any other brands in it. You can't have this type of car. And, you know, it's like yeah. they want it to be really specific. And when it comes to a creator who's, very, you know, very organic in their content creation, mm. that can be quite shocking. Um, how, how do you deal with it? I know you, said you can go back and ask for clarification, but is it worth pushing back on things like that? Um, yes and no. So it just depends on what those points are. So sometimes those points will be in a brief for good reason. So there may be, uh, you know, legal requirements or legislation that that brand actually has to adhere to. So, you know, we just worked on a campaign, uh, with a, uh, laundry detergent and, yeah, kids couldn't be in reach of that product because that's a health risk. So that is really important. Um, you know, there may be other, you know, obviously the competitor one is a big one. So making sure there's no competitors in the shot, that's just 
courtesy to a brand that is actually paying you to create something. So I think it's about thinking about each of those requirements and why they're in there. So is there a good reason? If you look at some of those things and you think, "Mm, that's probably pushing the boundaries a little bit, that's when it's worth going back and saying, okay, are these make or break? Because I've actually got these three awesome creative ideas and if you can be flexible on these two points if they're not mission critical I think this could actually produce much more exciting content for you and I think that's how you frame it you know it's not pushing back for pushing back's sake it's pushing back to make sure that the creative and the content is going to be awesome for the brand. All right well let's keep ticking along on that journey right so you've got the brief well you've got the gig you've got got the brief what next? What's a what's a really great experience look like with a brand working with a creator? How does that process? What does it feel like? What does it look like? Yeah, that's a. I think that's a really good question, and it kind of is that. Um, it starts all the way at the start, right? You know, we talked about what's the best way to approach a brand. What's the worst way to approach a brand? You know, what do you do in that briefing period? I think that you know the experience is the end to end. It is making sure that you're creating value up front it is making sure that you're setting clear expectations for yourself and understanding what goes into that brief I think once we get past that you know it is about how you execute you know how you uphold yourself as a business professional in this commercial relationship that you have entered into Um, you know we have had experiences in the past where we will have creators who have signed contracts with brands it's come time to deliver the content and they fall off the face of the earth And, you know, that not only hurts their reputation and means someone like us won't work with them again, but it also impacts our reputation in market um, to that brand. Um, You know, obviously we do things for the brand to make sure that that content gets replaced and other people come in, but, you know, it doesn't reflect well on anyone in the relationship. So making sure that if you've committed to something that you have the time to do it um, and that you that you do what you said that you were going to do um, all the way through to the end. I mean, you know, there will... There will be times when you think that unreasonable requests have come through. So if you've shot content, sent it back that you believe is on brief and there may be something that, yeah, maybe it is an interpretation of the brief that you've missed um, or something unreasonable has come back and how you hold yourself and how you work through that and think about that other person on the other end of the line who's probably got a boss above them that they're dealing with. So trying to be kind and understanding and, and get to a place where everyone wins without just, you know, pushing back for pushing back's sake, um, you know, not doing what you've agreed on. I think people have to think about the entire experience of working with a brand from that day one through to delivering that content at, at the end. Um, and that goes to, you know, even post content. If you're not just uh, engaged to create content, if you're also posting that on your social channels, um, understanding the metrics behind it. So making sure that you're not just posting it and forgetting about the relationship, but following up with the brand and presenting back the metrics that that post got for you you know as um you know an agency scrunch does that we will tally up all of the metrics and deliver it back in a report to the brand but if you're working one-on-one with the brand going above and beyond and showing you know what i told you up front that my audience would care about what we're what we're going to do we did it and you know what they did it was awesome here are the results I'd love to work with you again. You know, the experience was so positive. You know, make that person feel like they made the right decision working with you as a creator and that's what's going to lead to repeat business. Tell me a story about what happens when it goes wrong. What does going wrong look like? And then we can look at, you can 
flip side of that about what to do instead? Yeah, so, well, I think it goes back to, you know, when I was touching on the going MIA. For me, that's the biggest thing. If you're, if you, if something happens in your world, and we've got to remember, like, this is life, right? Shit happens invariably, you know, people get into accidents, you know, people get sick, you know, there's so many things that could go wrong in the world, um, you know, that we can't think that things won't go wrong. So the worst thing that you can do as a creator in a business or a commercial relationship is not communicate. If you go MIA, that is you know, you're letting people down. People have deliverables. People have invested money in you. People have invested time. People have made commitments to other people inside their organization based on that decision to work with you. If you fall off the face of the earth, that is hurting your reputation. That's hurting their reputation. Um, it, that's probably the worst of the worst for me. As an example, I uh, so we were working with this influencer and uh, it was a food campaign and we had signed them up to create some content to post on their Instagram profile, nothing outside of the ordinary and signed their contract, uh, delivered them the product, everything was kind of going swimmingly to timeline and got to the day where content was due and hadn't received it, which, you know, isn't, you know, too outrageous to have to follow people up so chased uh, and they literally fell off the face of the earth so we were chasing you know weekly then daily and literally getting no response we started putting together new lists of influencers to present to the brand to cover that spot and then out of the blue we get this email with this image and an apology message saying I'm sorry I was just waiting for my abs to look a little bit better. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, what? Uh, So, you know. And that was completely normal to that creator. That was it. Well, that's how it came across was that this was the most obvious thing that they had done, not to deliver content with subpar abs, but to (laughs) deliver content that had superior abs. And you may or may not be surprised by this, but the brand couldn't give two hoots about his abs um you know obviously they just wanted the content delivered on time because they're working to different campaign deadlines as are we um and you know so you know internally at scrunch you get blacklisted for things like that that was my next question you know one did they use the content and two did they work you know did they work with that ad boy ever again so we so they used the content because um you know it had all all gone through and and fortunately and the ads looked the abs, you know, they were Primo. good abs. They were good abs. <laughs> we did share the photo around the office. No. Um, but no, but internally, we don't work with people that miss deadlines because then that reflects poorly on us and we're, you know, having to have that conversation with the brand that people are going MIA. And um, yeah, so we won't work with people like that. Yeah. Unless they <laughs> tell you. Oh, Why yeah. they're not oh, going to hit the exactly. Deadline. If they tell us, if that person had have said, hey, guys, um, <laughs> my at, no, if they had have used a better excuse other than abs, like, hey, guys, I've actually just been in a car accident and I'm not going to produce my content today, but I guarantee you it will be here. Is that going to work with you guys and the brand and their deadlines? Um, if he had have had that conversation with us, um, we would have made it work. We would have just actually rejigged our schedule and put him at the 
the back end of it rather than going, oh, shit, we're not going to make the back end. We've got to replace him and because that costs us more money, right? So they ended up using him, but we'd also replaced it so it had cost us more. Uh, but if we had have known that up front, we would have just gone, oh, all good. We'll just put him on the back of the posting schedule and everything will be fine. Mm. So This idea of creators, right? I think um, like we love working with creators and obviously as an agency, I'd, I'd, I'd hope you'd also love work with creators. We do. What what makes you love a creator one creator more than another creator? Good question. <laughs> um, well, and I think it you know fifty percent of the answer ties back to those sort of values that we talked about in terms of doing what they say they're going to do, um, that type of thing. But we love creators that are real human beings. So we live in a social world. We're obviously ourselves on you know Instagram all of the time and. The people that actually take the time to get to know us as people, the people that are reacting to our stories or, you know, sharing stuff with us that they think we will love because they are human beings and we are human beings. Like we've got a girl on our team who's a runner and she's, you know, built connections with other influencers who are just getting started on their running journey. And, you know, we tend to, you know, we're human beings. So we will tend to offer more things to people that we love and have a relationship with. And, you know, it just comes back to the fact that, you know, we are all human and we just have to bloody treat each other like that um so they're my favorites if you had to give three top tips to a creator with how to work with a brand or actually you can decide how to work with a brand or how to uh get in front of a brand and get noticed by a brand what would those top tips be yeah, so, and well, look, I think it's probably a good summary of our conversation today. So, um, making sure that you understand yourself, firstly, um, so understand your audience um, and understand what kind of content you want to be creating ongoing. Um, do your research. So, make sure you understand who are the people working at those brands who actually have the say as to whether they will work with you or not. And then um, for longevity and repeat work, making sure that you deliver on the commitments that you set with brands. Danielle Lewis from Scrunch, thank you so much for joining us on Creator Generation. It's been a pleasure and very, very insightful. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Some very good tips there from Danny for creators that they should definitely take note of. Epic advice. Head on over to the Creator Generation app. We're going to host a Q&A with Danny. And if you want any particular creator to feature on the show, let us know as well. We'll track them down. We will indeed. Not in a stalkery way. No, no, in a very normal, very professional way. Yeah. Until next week. Bye. See ya. Generation of hype.